going to jump into week two of Truth Over Trends. Everybody say Truth Over Trends. Truth Over Trends. We're going to talk the next few minutes uh, on our second lesson. And just to give you a quick recap of this series, I want to start off by saying that we live in a culture where things are ever-changing and quickly shifting. Has anybody noticed that? The world is changing so fast around us. We have technological advances, shifting political landscapes, morphing morality. Different ideas about morality are becoming popular in our world. And the question begs to be asked, what is truth? Last week, Pastor taught us about what is truth. And in that lesson, he taught us that two of Satan's greatest weapons today are relativism and subjectivism. I won't get too deep back into those, but I just want to recap for you a moment. Relativism is the assumption that there is no such thing as absolute truth. You might have heard uh, people say it this way. Well, there, there's a lot of ways to get to the top of a mountain. There's a lot of paths to truth. That's relativism. Or that may be true for you, but that's not true for me. I love there's a guy I follow named Ben Shapiro, and he always says this. Uh, facts don't care about your feelings. <laughs> and, and so we're dealing with a world that is very relativistic. And, and that's the assumption that there's no such thing as absolute truth. And so my version is just as good as your version. And we can both be right and we can, we can both get along and uh, live happily ever after. The other one is subjectivism, which is that I, the subject, have the right to determine what is right and wrong without submitting my judgment to any authority outside of myself. Subjectivism is the idea that I am a law to myself. Frank Sinatra, some of you remember saying the song, I did it my way. And that, that is the idea behind sub subjectivism. That is a hard word to say when you're in front of people. But that's the idea is that, that I am not required to submit my judgment to any higher authority than myself. And so we live in a society that is humanistic in its thinking. And these ideas are the result of humanity believing that there is no higher authority, that there are no absolutes, and that we have the ability to define truth and the world around us. And, and without getting too deep in the weeds tonight, I want to say that this is why society's values are shifting so dynamically. It's not uncommon to hear people say things like, um, well, that's antiquated thinking. Antiquated simply means that, that that's old or outdated. It's like your old cell phone or an old computer that doesn't even run. Some of you maybe have had a phone you kept so long they won't even update it anymore. It's irrelevant. It's antiquated. And, and some people view Christian belief as antiquated thinking. Or when someone says they believe in traditional marriage or in abstaining from sex before marriage or because someone simply believes that there is a God whom we one day will answer to in judgment. Some people might say, well, that's, that's antiquated thinking. Haven't we come along and passed that up? Our world seems to be constantly caught in the trap of trends. And the word trend simply means something that is developing in a general direction. How many of you follow the trends 
Uh, there's, there's all kinds of things, and whether it's in clothing or whether it's, it's online, whether it's a, um, a hashtag that's trending on Twitter, and, and, and all of these things, it is, is something that is developing in a general direction. One that changed our world in a big way and had major impacts was hashtag me too. That was trending, and when that became trending, it started changing a whole lot of stuff in our society. The word trend means to develop in a general direction. And the idea behind that is that throughout time, humanity outgrows some beliefs and somehow become more enlightened. And the ultimate problem that we're trying to address in this series is that people are abandoning things that are true and adopting things that will soon pass away because they are trending, right? Humanity is moving in a general direction. But the scripture teaches us that truth is absolute. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that the answers for our society, for our families, for our own lives, they are not found in what is trending. They are not found in what society seems to think right now or what is popular belief right now. But the things that I really need to know and the things that I really need to believe, they are found in the truth of the Word of God which stands the test of time. And so in this series, we're choosing truth over trends. We're looking in the rest of this series at at trends that seem true on the surface, but underneath they are empty. And they feel true. They even have a hint of truth to them, but they don't really hold up against scriptural teaching. And so each week we're going to look at a question that people are asking often in this day and age. And the one I want to jump into tonight is simply this. Shouldn't I be happy? Has anybody ever heard someone say that? Doesn't God want me to be happy? Maybe you heard a sermon about it, that that God wants you to be happy. Maybe they didn't say it that way, but... But the impression you got from the message or the sermon you heard probably on TV or on the radio is that there is this great figure in the sky who makes it his main mission to give you everything that you want. Shouldn't I be happy? Because happiness is a big deal in our culture. Can I get an amen? It's a big deal. Do what makes you happy. It's even a big deal among Christians. People spend their time, their energy, money, and efforts just trying to be happy. We sing songs about being happy. Some of them don't make any sense. There's, if you're happy and you feel like a room without a roof, I don't remember the exact lyrics. I still don't know what Brother Pharrell was talking about. I've never felt like a room without a roof. I think I've been happy, but I don't know what that feels like. What about the old song? If you're happy and you know it, say amen. I know that. <laughs> but we have songs. Cheryl Crow wrote a song that... If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. I'd sing it for you tonight, but that would not make you happy. (laughs) Bob Marley's Three Little Birds tells us, don't worry. Be happy, right? And then when it's your birthday, we sing what? Happy birthday. My son came to me the other day, Rowan. He said, Dad, did you know someone owns the rights to happy birthday? And that every time they sing that on a show or on the radio or in the movie, those people get paid? He said, I didn't know you could do that. I said, I didn't either. I wish I had the rights to happy birthday. (laughs) But there is no other emotional state that we seem to revere more than happiness. Amen? 
And we as Christians even have scriptures on standby to help us out with it. Psalm 37 and 3 and 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you what? The desires of your heart. God wants me to be happy. But somehow we miss the delighting ourselves in the Lord part first. And so sometimes I want to start off by saying that we are guilty of painting an image of a God that serves us, that is at our beck and call, and we know this by how we pray. How often we use the word I when we pray. And Lord, I'm going to need you to do this. It almost tends to sound like God becomes our assistant and we have a list of things that we would like him to do so that we are happy and so that we are well fed and so that we get the parking spot that we want. And, and if we're not careful, what we can do in this day and age and in this culture is we can transform God from the eternal God of heaven who is great in glory and mighty in power into the God who makes me happy. Because listen, if God wants me to be happy, and that's his eternal will, and I'm not, then God must have failed, right? If, if God wants me to be happy and I'm struggling, then God must have failed. He must have done wrong. You see, what I've come to tell you tonight is what if, what if God has a bigger picture than our happiness? What what if God has something better for us than happiness? Does God want us to have joy? Yes. Does he want us to be blessed? Yes. Does he want to give us everything that makes us happy? No. He doesn't. Because it's easy to get caught in this day and age in chasing after the trap of, of, of being happy. Chasing after happiness. I just want to be happy. And the pursuit of happiness, it, it seems right. It seems right. It seems like a good thing. If I'm on my job and I'm not happy, what do, what do we do? We find another job. You know what my pet peeve is? Is when somebody does that before they have another job. They quit because they're not happy. And they don't have another job lined up. Don't do that. <laughs> Be smart. You got bills coming. The bill payers don't stop. Or the bill collectors don't stop because you weren't happy. <laughs> Can I get an Amen. <laughs> That was Life Skills 101. But, but listen, Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Paul is, or, or, or Solomon is saying in the Proverbs that, that there's a way that it feels right and it seems right, but if you go too far down that path, it leads to death. Now, I want to tell you a story that's kind of embarrassing to tell. Because it's a bad parenting story. Some of you will have these. But when Jaira was about four or five years old, we took her to the state fair in Arizona. And uh, she was the only, uh, only kid with us. I think Rowan was with the grandparents or something. And we decided we were going to take Jaira. And we took her out to this fair. And she's just a little bitty thing with pigtails. And we walked around and we bought her a bunch of tickets and, and paid a fortune for her to ride these rides. And there were all these roller coasters. And, and we walked by a roller coaster that was a little bit bigger. And Jairus said, I want to ride that one. And we took a look at it for a second, and, and it didn't look too big. It didn't seem too scary. And it seemed like it probably should have fit a kid her age. I get it, we're young parents. <laughs> and so being cheap and young and poor, we didn't want to buy an extra ticket for one of us to ride with Jaira. We wanted to save the tickets. And so we, we ushered little Jaira onto the, 
roller coaster lovingly snapped her into the bar. And that thing took off like evil Knievel. <laughs> I mean, it, was, it, it didn't have any flips in it. I mean, we're not crazy. But that thing had to be moving. It seemed like it was moving 90 miles an hour. And Jocelyn and I were standing there. As soon as it left, we heard her scream. Ah! And, and all we could do was like, oh, what do we do? We were trying to get the attention of the roller coaster operator. And he finally saw us. And he, and he brought her around one time and brought her back. But it was about a 30-second ride that she would never forget in her life. She came off looking like she had been electrocuted, you know. Tears flowing down her face. And we felt terrible. We thought for sure that bar wasn't tight enough and that she was going to fall out and die. It seemed right for her. It seemed good. It seemed fun. It seemed like it would make her happy. But just a few seconds into it, we figured out that, that everything that seems right doesn't end up right. And that's, what it, that's the pursuit of happiness. It, it feels right and it seems right. And there are many things that we think will make us happy. And sometimes they will satisfy a temporary desire. But in his wisdom, God knows what is best for us. And he knows what we really need and what we really desire down deeply. And he knows that by living in pursuit of happiness, we can end up in a place that is far different than what we were aiming for. And when we drift away from absolute truth, listen, it starts a snowball effect in our belief system. When we begin to chase after happiness, it begins to create this snowball effect of beliefs. And I want to walk you through a couple of them quickly. The first is that without a belief in absolute truth, truth is defined by whatever makes me happy. Because since there is no absolute truth, what is true to you may not be true to me. So I'm not going to submit myself to your truth because truth is an absolute. So I'm going to choose a truth that makes me happy. Right? I'm going to choose a version that makes me feel good. And, and so don't impose your truth on me because that couldn't be the case for me. That might be your truth, but it's not my truth. That may be right for you, but it's not right for me. And so without a belief in absolute truth, truth is becoming defined by whatever makes me happy. Which leads me to the next belief in the snowball effect is that when the bottom line is my happiness, happiness becomes the standard by which I judge my actions. It's not, is this right or wrong? Or, or what will the impact? It is, does this make me happy? And that becomes the standard by which I judge my own actions. So think about it. If my wife isn't making me happy, and there's this other lady that I've met that I think will, it's not a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter of what makes me happy. And whatever I do is justified because the bottom line is my happiness. It's the standard that my beliefs are set upon when I do not believe in absolute truth. And if I believe that more money and more things will make me happy then however I pursue those money and things, whether you think it's right or wrong, it's not wrong for me. I can, I can lie, I can steal, I can borrow because after all, I'm getting the things that make me happy. Does anybody see where I'm going with this? And so when, when 
Happiness, uh, the bottom line is my happiness. Happiness becomes a standard by which I judge my actions. Happiness allows me to justify whatever I do in pursuit of happiness because that is the bottom line, which leads me to the next belief that whatever makes me happy must be right. If I don't believe in absolute truth, this is where I end up. Whatever makes me happy must be right. And since there's no such thing as absolute truth, it must be right to do the thing that will make me feel the best or that I think will make me feel the best, which means me, leads me to the next belief. That since God wants me to be happy, anything that doesn't make me happy must be bad. So conceivably, things that are right can become wrong to you because they don't make you happy or you don't think that they will. Now think about this. The Bible says in the last days that they will call good evil and evil good. Why is that? I believe it's simply because of this, is because they have made happiness the king of their heart within our culture. And so now things that are good are called evil. A church that preaches against sin is, is looked at as stifling and judgmental. Judgy Christians. I can't tell you how many young uh, people my age and younger. I, I, I say young people. like I, I'm not really qualified for that like I used to be. But, but I can't tell you how many times say, well, the church is judgy. No, the church stands on truth. And culture doesn't. And so we're not here to minister to you in a way that always makes you happy. We're here to help form you into the image of Christ. That's why pastor will get up and preach things that rub us wrong sometimes. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Because there is a higher standard than what makes us happy. Can I get an amen? And so anything that doesn't ha make me happy must be bad. That's why we can falsely accuse the ministry of being judgy and being ugly and being stifled and being backwards and being antiquated when the ministry is preaching against things that the Word of God clearly declares. So why is there a culture war today? Because there is a lot of Christians who are basing their belief system on what is trending and not on what is true. And so we're in, a, we're in a twist sometimes here in the ministry because just by simply stating what the scripture says is true, you will offend people. I love what Paul said. He said, I did not refrain. I did not withhold any of the counsel of God from you. Paul said, I told you everything. And I pray that that's what our ministry here does because we're not looking for trending we're not looking for the general direction that humanity is moving in. If you study the scripture, the, the general direction that hu most of humanity is moving in is towards eternal judgment. And so that leads me to the next belief that discomfort, delay, risk, suffering, inconveniences, and obstacles must not be God's will. If things that don't make me happy must be bad, then anything like discomfort or delay or sacrifice or suffering or risk, obstacles, they must not be God's will. And so when we, when we, here's how you know you think that way sometimes and you're falling into the trending way of thinking is when you start going through a tribulation and you say, this cannot be the will of God. I know God wants what's best for me and God loves me and God wants me to be happy and so Lord, I know this is not your will. Tell Joseph, he got thrown in prison, falsely accused, and they got away with it until the time that his word came, the scripture says. And so 
those things can't be God's will because anything that doesn't make me happy must be bad. And so that leads me to the last belief that without knowing it, I begin to worship the false gods of comfort, of money, of pleasure, and of things. Why? Because those are the things that ultimately we think will make us happy. And so the scary thing about all this is that it feels so right. It feels good to think about a God who loves you so much that he just wants to do whatever makes you happy. And the truth is that we can even find a bunch of scriptures and listen to a bunch of sermons that seem to be telling us the same message. But I want to make a bold statement here tonight. And and, and I hope that this goes out on the internet. I hope people are listening because it flies in the face of what culture thinks and believes today. It goes against Uh, really what many of us have been taught and led to believe and and we've just absorbed this this truish philosophy throughout life that seems right and here's what I want to say is I want to tell you that God doesn't want you happy we should put it on a billboard somewhere God doesn't want you to be happy God doesn't want you happy in at least three different ways in your life and I want to talk to you about That in the last 15 minutes here. There's three ways in which God does not want you to be happy. And the first is God does not want you to be happy when it causes you to do something that is wrong or unwise. God doesn't want you to be happy when it causes you to do something that is sinful or something that is just stupid. God is not, he's not in the business of patting you on the back while you destroy your life. That's not what God's about. Listen, God's not in the business of patting people on the back while they destroy families. He doesn't want that. Amen. He he doesn't want you to destroy yourself. And, And if I can rewind a little bit to the basics of Christianity, why is sin sin? Sin is not sin because God is sensitive. And God needs everybody to do things the way that he wants them to do because he's a control freak. Listen, every one of us can walk out of here and become raging sinners the rest of our life and it will not impact God. God is eternal. God does not change. And listen, God doesn't even need us because as soon as we walk out, he can raise somebody else up in our place. So sin is not sin because God is a control freak or because because he's sensitive or because he doesn't like certain things. Sin is sin because it destroys you. He told Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat, you're going to die. Nothing's going to happen to me, but you're going to die. And so don't do that. Don't go there. So God, because he loves us, get this, because he loves us, he does not want you to be happy while you are sinning or doing something wrong, or living in a way that is unwise. God doesn't want you to be happy that way. That's not what God's about. Listen, I I remember uh, when I was about 10, 11 years old, um, we had this car wash trailer in our driveway. My my dad will remember this. Um, I didn't realize he was going to be here with us tonight when I put all this together, but it's going to take us down memory lane a little bit. We had this big car wash trailer that my brother used to make income while he was in high school, and... uh, it, it sat right beneath our basketball goal. And one morning before school, I, I walked outside, and I was a big basketball person. I, I 10, 11 years old, I was praying every night, God, help me to be at least six feet tall, because then I'll make the NBA. You know, that was my prayer. That was my dream. I'd sit outside and shoot three-pointers all day, but three-pointers were like less than a free throw in my driveway. <laughs> I didn't know that. But 
I saw the rim and I saw how tall the top of the trailer was. It was a slick round uh, water tank. And uh, I thought, it'd be really cool. It'd be really cool to jump off of that water tank and dunk it just like Michael Jordan. You know, the tongue and everything. So I climbed up there and I got a ball in my hand. And I jumped up. And it was about three or four feet out from the trailer. And I... I jumped up and I grabbed the rim and I was just getting ready to pull myself up, you know, like a monster dunk. And I didn't realize it was early morning and there was dew on the rim. And my hand slipped off. And my 90-pound frail body fell 10 feet down on my back. I tried to catch myself and I sprained both wrists. And I went from thinking I was going to do something good and great and, and be so happy to falling to the ground. My breath was knocked out of my lungs. I couldn't even yell for mommy as bad as I was trying. I couldn't, I couldn't get any words out. I crawled. I literally crawled back inside the house begging for help. Look, this is how we live sometimes, is we chase what we think will make us happy until wham, the consequences come. And then... We, we're, we're crawling, we're gasping for air, we're looking for an answer. And listen, if, if mom and dad would have been outside and they saw me climbing up on that, well, maybe mom, I don't know about dad. He might have said, go for it. <laughs> but mom would have said, don't do that, son. She doesn't want me to be that happy. She wants me to be safe. My parents would have said, don't do that, kid. Don't jump off that, you're going to hurt yourself. But that's how we live, is we live on the edge and we're reaching for things that we think will make us happy and, and striving for things. And, and, and God doesn't want you to be happy when you are doing something wrong or unwise. Listen to 1 Peter, he says, but as he has, who has called you is happy, so be ye happy in all that you do. No, that isn't what the scripture says. Peter said, just as he has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all that you do. And listen, how many, how many marriages have ended because one or both spouses just weren't happy? I do premarital counseling and vows, and I, I know that the marriage covenant doesn't include as long as you make me happy. It doesn't include that. It says, till death do us part. It says, for better or for worse. And it says those things, but it doesn't say, as long as you make me happy. Because when we believe that happiness is the bottom line, what that theology does is it gives us permission to do something that would otherwise be wrong. And if doing this makes me happy, even though it's wrong, it must be okay because God really wants me to be happy. And listen, there are people who have mutually left their spouses and married one another. Knowing that the Bible says God hates divorce. Now, I don't say that to judge you or make you feel bad if you did that. But that's the culture we live in. We just weren't happy. And so they separate and they go try to find someone else to make them happy. And God does not want you to be happy in ways that will destroy your soul. That will uh, undermine your future. That will undermine your destiny. He doesn't want to pat you on the back as you go down that path. And so... This is how Christians live in sin. It's this reasoning that, that I, I, I want to do what makes me happy. I'm going to change churches because that preacher is not making me happy. I'm going to change jobs because my boss, I'm just not happy here. Not happy here. Never mind that you might be growing. Never mind that they might be stretching you. 
See, it's not always about what makes you happy. It's not always that. And so, ultimately, God doesn't want you happy that way. Because since I'm, I'm not happy, I'm allowed to do something that would otherwise be wrong. God is trying to deliver us from that kind of thinking. And, and there are people who think that way all the time. We, we do that with money. Well, I know I shouldn't. I, I shouldn't get another loan. But I really, really want a new car. Some little voice in the back of your head is saying, but you can't afford that car. I love what Dave Ramsey says. He says, you buy stuff that you can't afford to impress people you don't even like. <laughs> but we've all made bad financial decisions, haven't we? We've all done that. That's how you learn. But God, God doesn't want you to do things that are unwise. He doesn't want you to be happy while you're destroying your family's finances or your family's future. That's not the kind of God that we serve. He loves you more than that. You know, it, it's the same reasoning that people do in dating. And, and there are Christian people. I, I hope some of them are listening here. There, there are young Christian people that, on the dating scene. And they say, well, if, if I don't do what the rest of the world does in regards to sexual relations, then I won't be able to find anybody and I want to be happy. I want to find somebody. And so I'll compromise and chase happiness for a little bit and then hope that God can redeem it when I'm done. And this is, God doesn't want to pat us on the back or, or he doesn't want us to be happy living in sin. Or, or maybe you, you've experienced this way. It's like as a Christian, there's a TV show that, that doesn't match or, or a Netflix program that just doesn't match with where I'm going. It grinds uh, uh, against everything that I say that I believe, but I enjoy it. It's a guilty pleasure. So uh, turn your eyes to Jesus. I'm going to watch it anyways. God doesn't want us to be happy when we're doing something wrong or unwise because he cares more about your destiny than he cares about your comfort, amen? And the second thing is, God doesn't want you to be happy when it's only based on things in this world. The world has a different view of happiness. It has its own formula. And nobody says this out loud. Nobody, you're not going to go find this and say the formula to happiness, you know, on Google, I mean, you're not going to find that, but often our actions clearly communicate that this is what we believe. And here it is. It's that better possessions plus peaceful circumstances plus thrilling experiences plus the right relationships plus the perfect appearance will equal happiness. And so whichever part of that that I don't have tends to tell me that that is what is going to complete the formula and, and then things will fall into place for me, and, and I will finally be happy. Maybe I don't have a very nice house, but if I could just have a nicer house, then I would be happy. Or, or if, I just, if I could just get rid of the turmoil of my job and the stress and the tension and the infighting of my job, then I'll be happy. Because I, if I just had a more peaceful circumstance, or if my family wasn't so crazy, then... I would be happy or, or maybe it's that if I just had more friends or the right friends in my life, I need people around me or maybe it's the perfect appearance. If I lost 20 pounds, then, then I would be happy. Listen, we can identify these by if we could just statements. You ever said that? You know, if we could just get a nicer house. We could just, we could just find nicer friends, people that care. These friends don't care about me. If I could just get better friends, if I, could, if I could just get that promotion, 
on the job or if I could just make $100,000 a year or, or if I could just lose a little weight, if I could just get these things in place, then the things of the world would make me happy. But listen to what First John tells us. It says, do not love the world or anything that is in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, listen to this, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Don't be fooled by what the world presents as the picture of happiness. Don't be fooled because God doesn't want you to seek happiness in the things of the world. He said that whoever finds happiness in those things and loves those things, the love of the Father is not in them. The world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So don't be fooled. God may even bless you with some of these things. Maybe you have nice possessions or you have peaceful circumstances or God's blessed you to have some great experiences, great relationships. Maybe you're the best looking person in the room. And God doesn't mind you having nice things. God gives wealth. God blesses people materially. He doesn't mind uh, and he wants nice things for you. Don't get me wrong. But when you believe that those things are the things that provide you happiness, you have settled for a counterfeit. You settle for something less than what God really wants for you. So God doesn't want you to be happy pursuing things that are wrong or unwise. God doesn't want you to be happy in, based on the things of this world. And here's the last one. God doesn't want you happy. Here's what he does want. He wants you to be blessed. God doesn't want you happy. He wants you blessed. He wants something better than happiness for us. He wants us to be blessed. Somebody say blessed. The word blessed in the Greek is makarios, which means supremely, supremely blessed or more than happy. God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be more than happy. They sang it at the beginning of this service. You give me joy down deep in my soul. Not on the surface. Not in the things that I have, not in the things that I experience, not in the friends and the people around me or peaceful circumstances. You know what? I can have a bad job, a broke down house and car. I might have put-putted into church tonight. I may not have a dime left in the bank, but I can still have joy down deep in my soul. Because God wants us to have some things that are deeper than the things that this world can offer. The things that your flesh will tell you. God doesn't want you happy. God wants you to be blessed. God wants you, Macario, something deeper. Something better. More than happy. Because, listen, happiness is based on happenings. And happenings are not always good. You know what? When, if, I, if I had a problem with a co-worker today, I might not be happy. Because if it's based on what's happening, I might not be happy. But if it's based on something deeper, I can still have joy in the midst of my sorrow. I can be in the middle of a trial and a tribulation and I can have a joy that surpasses this world. I can have a peace that passes understanding because that's what it means to be blessed. It's to have something more than happiness. Blessings are based on more than happenings. It's something beyond 
beyond the things of the world. Listen to what Psalm 112 says. It said, blessed is the man that fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. More than happy is the man who fears the Lord. When you start living for God, the world stops mattering so much. Possessions stop mattering so much. What people think and do stops mattering so much. And your happiness is not determined by what is happening, but you are blessed because you have a connection with God that gives you something more than this world can give. God doesn't want you happy. God wants you blessed. Amen? Not the man who pursues happiness through possessions or peaceful circumstances or thrilling experience or worldly relationships. But he says, more than happy is the man who fears the Lord and finds delight in his commands. I remember John Cargyle, a man in our church growing up, got diagnosed with cancer and only had a few months left to live. And he came back. And I've told his story. I believe I've told it here before. Why his his story has stuck with me is that he was that guy that would never come to church with his wife. He held back away for many years. But God got a hold of him when he got that, uh, I think it was just a few days before he found out about cancer. God got a hold of his life and baptized him with the Spirit. And I remember when he got that diagnosis, he came to church and they had him testify. And he got up and he shared how joyful he was and how thankful he was that God found him before it was his time to go. Happenings. You can't find that in the world when your happiness is based on what's happening and what's trending and and what the world thinks and what the world chases after. But blessed is the man who fears the Lord. More than happy is the man who fears the Lord in the middle of loss, in the middle of circumstances, this divine comfort and supernatural peace that transcends our human ability to understand is available. It is more than happy. It's more than happiness-based things of this world. God doesn't want you to be happy. God wants you to be blessed. I want you to stand with me. God wants you more than happy. God wants you to be blessed. I want to close reading Proverbs 3, 5. Listen to these words in the close of this service. It says this. He says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. Listen, in all thy ways acknowledge him. Somebody say acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And listen to what he gives those who fear the Lord and depart from evil. It says, so shall thy barns, or or, he says, it shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. It shall uh, honor the Lord with thy substance, he says, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. And so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. And happy is the man who findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. Why am I preaching about this? Because the world teaches us, shouldn't I be happy? And the answer to that is no. God doesn't want me to be happy. He doesn't want me to chase happiness. If I will fear the Lord and I will depart from evil, God will bless me and he'll make me more than happy. Even when he's chastising me, he'll let me know that I'm still loved by him. Even even in the times of plenty, I'll know that I'm loved by him and I want to be 
more than happy. Anybody want to be that tonight? Let's close in prayer. Lord, right now we thank you for your word. God, we don't want to fall into the trend thinking of this world. God, we want to establish our lives on the everlasting truths that bring more than happiness, that bring blessing upon us. God, I pray for each and every family, for every home. God, in Christian Life Church, God, that you would get a hold of our hearts. And God, that this place would be a lighthouse of truth, a beacon of truth to a dark and hurting world. God, let your people be blessed. Lord, bless them when they come in and when they go out. God, in their down city and in their uprising, let them be blessed. God, let them be blessed in the city and in the field. God, let the blessings of God rest upon your people as we fear you and as we serve you and as we give our lives to you. In Jesus' name, we pray and we receive your blessings by faith tonight. In Jesus' wonderful name, and everybody said amen. Somebody say, I'm blessed. Amen. God bless you. Ushers, if you would prepare, um, you guys can just post at the back door, and we'll have everybody go by. We want to encourage you to give um, as you exit the building. Uh, Thank you again for being faithful in your tithing and in your giving. Let the Lord go with you. We will see you here Sunday. We're going to have a great service. Please pray with us for God to pour out His Spirit this Sunday and have His way. God richly bless you. Amen.